Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 92, two down, one up. My name is Josh Canal. To my right, Mr. Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. And to my left, bit of a change, no Ross McQueen. Instead, the wonderful and talented Jared McCulloch. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, welcome to uh, the Box Cutters microphone. It's, uh, it's your first time. Yeah, it is. And I've been a fan for very long. So, so don't, it's lovely to be. Don't like people can tell. Yeah, they can they tell. Can. They, they can't. They really no, but can. I've been a fan of the fact that you're even making this. I've known that it's on. Well, that's and good. I've always been very happy for you. Well, we of course used to work together at uh, Roving Enterprises, and uh, that's right. I was downstairs. You were upstairs. There was a whole power struggle thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were in charge of the coffee machine. Yep. I was often too scared to use it, <laughs> lest I incur your wrath. The coffee machine was uh, was a brilliant thing. I became in charge of the coffee machine because I was the only one who read the instructions, and I soon realised it actually became my power base. Was it uh, just a filter kind of deal or a proper espresso no, machine? No, I think they call it a semi-automatic. It required extensive cleaning, all kinds of <laughs> you crazy stuff. just put your stuff. click in there and you can take out the whole office. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, and one day I walked in late to work and I was surrounded by 10 people going, fix the machine, fix the machine, and I thought, they will never sack me. And, and still they haven't. And they haven't. No. It's, they, it's amazing. That's right. They've come as close as they possibly can, but they still can't get rid of me that last day because they need their coffee. Coming up later on in this episode of Box Cutters, we're, of course, going to talk to Jared in uh, ex- extent to, to a large extent. I will Extensively. St- extensively. Thank yeah. you. I will at some stage work out how to speak English. That'll come up later in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also got Golden Age of Television. I have the envelope here. <gasps> it's excitement. It is excitement. I haven't opened it yet. I haven't peeked. Brett, have you peeked? I definitely haven't. Jared, do you have any idea what we're talking about? I think I might have just peeked, but I'm not sure. <sighs> I did I did try and uh, get it out of the hands of the PricewaterhouseCoopers security guards, but they weren't having any of it, and no. I'm rather bruised now. No, and, and quite frankly, they're costing us a lot of money. Ah. A lot of money. Well, uh, what is money when, <laughs> when it comes to the security of the golden age of television? Well, that's true. That's true. We're uh, also going to talk about some new pilots that Channel 7 are getting together. There's, of course... A world of pork, but we're going to kick things off, as we always do, with the box cutters news. And now for the news. A few weeks ago on Box Cutters, we reported along with... What is that sucking noise, Brett Cropley? It's on the intro. No, that came out of your mouth. It's disgusting. Disgusting. A couple of weeks ago, we reported along with uh, every other news service in Australia that Rove McManus went over to uh, the US. Mm -hmm. And then he was on uh, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, where he did an excellent job, I thought. Uh... But now we find out why he actually went over there. He has just signed to UTA, a very large talent agency over in California. And uh, and now he has American representation, which is huge news for Mr. McManus. And does that mean we're going to lose him from our shores? Well, I'm happy to step up and take his show if we do. Excellent. Yeah. 
Excellent. There we go. All right. Go I on. think time's well, nigh for you to, to take it over, Jerry. Yeah, that's right. Now, I've seen some of the reports, and they are saying, oh, he's going to replace Conan, or he's in line to replace Conan, or he's being considered to replace Conan. I, well, the thing is that Conan O'Brien is going to be moving to the earlier slot when Jay Leno retires, mm. and so that'll open up a vacancy. Mm. Now, Leno's retiring in 2009. Uh, that was announced a couple of years ago, and Conan is definitely going to go and take that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way I understand it is that there's a show on After Conan. Yeah, that's right. Uh, which is hosted by a guy. Yeah. And uh, and Conan used to host that slot back when uh, back when Letterman hosted the slot that is now Conan's. Yep. And uh, and people just tend to move up the ranks, isn't yeah, that it's, right? Jared? It's sort of how it works. And uh, I forget who works where because I don't have pay TV and I forget how they're all arrayed, but. Uh, but, yeah, after the late show comes the late, late show. And after that, sometimes comes the late, late, late show and, and so that, on. And is that the Craig Ferguson show? The Craig Ferguson's there. Jimmy Kimmel's in there somewhere as well and mm-hmm. uh, and a few others. Craig Ferguson certainly has made big inroads in the last few years, who is this mad Scotsman who uh, turned everything on its head when he pretty much just started coming out and complaining about his life instead of trying to do the same jokes as everyone else. And um, so when they say Rove's going to replace Conan, well, I imagine there would be enormous amounts of, uh, of of American comedians who would be a little bit upset because they really are, as I've said uh, before, um, lined up like taxis in America. And, of course, they're just the national shows. Now, every state has its own TV. Every country town has its own TV station. They've all got late-night shows. They have that many celebrities around that that they have as many variety shows as they like. So I suspect maybe Rove might be in consideration for... Hosting the spot that becomes vacant after the guy who hosts that show moves on to the show that was hosted by the guy who hosts the other show, who's now gone on to host the other show, who's now replaced it, replaced Conan. One of the things, something <laughs> like that, really. God, the longest way to jump in. And, and hang, uh, what wait, is, what, hang on, Jared. If that does happen, will you be going over there to do the coffee machine? I really hope so. Okay. Yeah. Because I hear you can't get good coffee anywhere in America. And that's, that's, that's really true. I think I'm true. on a good thing. Uh, one of the uh, reasons why Rove might be uh, further up the, the chain of waiting taxis, though, is uh, the recent appointment of Ben Silverman, who's uh, adapted the foreign versions of Ugly Betty in the office for US TV and is also working behind Kath and Kim for the US. So there's a bit of an Australian connection there. So is, is Silverman's job just to watch shows from... Other countries, to and then, what he can steal, and then steal them yeah. for, for his so, own. Mm. That seems to be what this article's saying, right? He could find a job at any Australian network, couldn't he? <laughs> he really could, yeah. except that uh, then he'd have to try and work out what times the show could go on, as opposed to what time it was actually scheduled to go on. Mm. And I don't think Americans are very good at that. Uh, re- recently, there was the uh, the finale of American Idol. It went overtime. The network apologised. Wow. That would never happen here. (laughs) And I'm not sure he'd want to be coming uh, over to Australia when we see the dismissal of two of Channel 9's high-up execs. A friend of Eddie Maguire's, Cos Cardone. Cos Cardone? Do you know if it's... Cardone. I I think I've heard it said. Yeah, Cardone. Um, Has lost his job as head of entertainment and Gary Fenton... uh, will be leaving full-time employment, but will be uh, working as a consultant for the network. And uh, Fenton has done some stuff, which is good. 
Benson's been uh, working for uh, Channel 9 Sports Acquisitions Department, uh, which uh, included the World Swimming Championships. Um, Cos Cardone was working on Mick Malloy's The Nation, so maybe not the best... Uh, position to be in when you've got the Razor Gangs coming through the networks. Um, well, well, you know, almost five weeks ago now on Radio National, I said the nation has five weeks to go, mm-hmm. uh, which means as we record this, they have one more episode, one more episode or I owe Fat Fran Kelly 10 bucks. But I did point out last week that it's on the soft night and I, I don't know if if you how good your memories, uh, Jared. But what was Rove kind of pulling last year in the Tuesday slot? Oh, it tended to pull between about six and nine hundred thousand mm-hmm. in that slot. Um, yeah, Malloy's yeah, still like five seventy five. Yeah, mm. which is you know what, and I, it's I still new, and they're still kind of playing with if with what they're doing and getting Pete Smith in more. And if you're on Channel Nine and you're doing worse than a Channel Ten show did, yeah, that's the thing to remember. Rove then, was up against first run CSI. We're not dealing and with the Packer anymore. Things like that. We're not dealing with the Packer anymore. It, it, you're not dealing with somebody that wants to be uh, controlling of the Australian TV industry. Well, it seems from this article, Brett, that you're not dealing with anyone anymore. Who's taking over these positions? Uh, it says nothing. Well, basically, they're coming in and cost cutting. That's, yeah, that's what uh, Razor What you're dealing with now, though, is. You still need a head of entertainment. <laughs> yeah. It, you need or maybe you don't to run a, to run a station, don't you? Well, yeah, Eddie Eddie finished up. Uh, I think Friday was his ago. last business day. No, no, he oh, actually no, he, finished up. He finished he, up the up, announcement yeah. was made about a month ago. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, there, he had his, there was he had his four weeks, there was, four weeks notice. <laughs> there was word at that point that uh, nobody would be, be replacing him. Yeah, which uh, yeah, I just don't understand. I mean, the the thing is, and Jared, we we've talked a lot on this show about Channel 9 having their hair on fire, mm. uh, which might explain some of the actions that they've taken. And this just seems like more hair on fire, but in a cost-cutting way rather than a programming way. Uh, people have their hair on fire. Well, if we have less people with their hair on fire, maybe new people won't let their hair get caught on fire. Mm. Seems, seems to be the case. Yeah, and this is, remember, with, in the absence of Packers, what we have now are uh, kind of um, Money, equity yeah. trusts and things CBC like that. Asia, and yeah. Yeah, we know what uh, what shareholders across the nation think of of excess flab at, uh, at a company or, or anyone who's not pulling their weight when it comes to bringing in the profits. So I suspect that um, that the, the Packer style of just chopping someone who isn't working is we're going to still see similar actions but just coming from a different perspective it's going to be it's going to be like the mob now the mob are going to be speaking the mob being the shareholders they'll get yeah. they'll get rid of, rid of somebody like uh Cardone and put the coffee boy in that position with any who's luck on, who's I'll on, set uh, my CV in <laughs> 1275 an hour <laughs> The, but but the thing is that uh, that yes they they are going to be acting like that and they're going to be acting from a purely financial standpoint. Mm-hmm. So no emotion anymore. Well, no emotion or no no understanding of how television actually works. And this was always the the important thing about having Eddie in that position was in that position you need someone who knows a hell of a lot about business and also knows a hell of, hell of a lot about television and any knows a little bit about television. He knows about the shows that he's been doing, but he doesn't really have a sense of how television works as a whole, doesn't have a sense of what people really want, and he didn't have that business sense. And nameless shareholders or faceless shareholders 
aren't going to have that either. So it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with with Channel Nine over the coming years because you're really going to need someone who does no television in the way that Kerry Packer knew television. I mean, he he really knew what his audience wanted. Nine under Packer was was unbeatable, and a lot of that had to do with Kerry himself and and the fear that he generated amongst his employees. Yeah, and they all wanted to please him, or at least not piss him off, which, you know, when you're dealing with Packers, tends to amount to the same thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think that a money company taking over control of the network isn't going to have any of the loyalty that uh, Packer had. No, so I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be great news for Channel 9 over the, uh, over the coming years. It's, I, I made the Carlton analogy as long as they can a few stay- weeks ago. Stay in the top three. I think they'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, see, and I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, The Nation, which, as you said, 575, that is piss poor. That really is piss poor. I think McAuliffe was doing better than that, and that got pulled off air. Yes, but that was under Kerry. But and, and I think that, that uh, Kerry had a problem with the way that McAuliffe was uh, handling his interviews, which was something that was actually put onto him. He didn't want to have interviews on his show. But the thing is, I think, um, I think and, people at Nine know that if they put on a repeat of CSI Miami, that's going to rate a lot better than The Nation. They could put on something that's a lot cheaper, is going to rate a lot better, and that's the way the free-to-air commercial networks have always worked. So I don't see why it's going to be any different with this. It, unless you sack the person who's in charge of it and then there's nobody there to make a decision about it. And so then it just kind of lives on despite itself. Mm. But it could still be there in 20 years, still doing the it, same. He could stick. because because no one's really come to work with the job of firing him. Mm. That's, that's going to be interesting. Uh, children apparently are watching a lot less TV. The Australian Communications and Media Authority, ACMA, uh, this week released a... Uh, a what? What, Go what, on. what does that hand signal mean? <laughs> it looks like you're going to karate chop me in the neck. Uh, they've, uh, they've released uh, an investigation... or Sorry, a review paper uh, that says that children are watching apparently 25% less commercial television... And the ABC has also lost a, a lot of its children audience. This is they're all going to the SBS uh, late night <laughs> programming. Yeah, they are. This yeah. is ch- what, what children age? under the age of under the age of fifteen. Okay. Uh, ABC is down. So from, children, tweens, and half the teens. Yes, okay. and and toddlers as well. Mm. So uh, Ross, who's chair, you've taken Jared. He often talks about Sesame Street because he's been watching it with his son. Mm. Uh, so apparently less. Children are watching things like Sesame Street, Elmo's World. Do we know Play what they're School. doing instead? Uh, no, PlayStation. No, we don't. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. It, it could it could very well be PlayStation. It could just be the internet. I mean, I mm. I know six year olds who who know how to um, six year olds. I know four year olds who know how to you know find their way around around an internet browser, mm. and I think that is taking up a lot of their time. It re- it really is. Plus. A lot of families uh, have gotten Foxtel because they have children, because they've got great children's programming on Nick yeah. Jr. Uh, so I know a lot of a lot of parents whose uh, whose kids only watch shows on on those channels. So this report completely ignores the existence of cable TV. Uh, well, I don't know, Brett. I don't think I don't think it does. I think it uh, it 
Oh, no, it, it seems to not completely ignore it, but not have any access to that information. Mm-hmm. It's a 50-page document. I downloaded it today. I mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to read it. Uh, I will have read it by, by next week. Uh, in fact, I probably will have read it by the time the show goes up, but I'll maybe write about it on the blog at mm-hmm. boxcutters.net. Uh, with more detail, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know too much about it except that children are watching less TV, and that can only be bad for TV. I did read an article uh, yesterday in the press about how children's playgrounds are now so boring because councils and parents are wary of legislation and litigation that uh, children don't like playing in playgrounds anymore. There's no more risk, therefore they are driven indoors to do more interesting things where they can take risks, like computer games, for example, or the internet, and uh, so. Maybe if TV came up with some sort of show about old school playgrounds with lots of risk in them, <laughs> like they uh, would get the kids coming back. Like maybe a playground with, uh, you know, roundabouts. Remember roundabouts? Yeah. Okay. That's what the about sort of like a, a magical, a magical roundabout? <laughs> That'd be brilliant. A, a kids show about a magic roundabout. That that would be excellent. Yes. Yes. It's never been done before. Never been done. Just imagine. Mm. Just imagine. Jared, <laughs> Jared, your Sorry. news. Lost in uh, imagining. Do, no, I, do I have news? I thought I'd just chip uh, in on yours. Oh, fair enough. I don't think I have any. Feel free to make up news. anything you, you can, want. You can make up news. Brett's done it before. We've just, precedent. Just about all the interesting people have been kicked out of Big Brother. News flash. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get into that a little bit later on when we uh, when we talk about your job as it is uh, at the moment. Sure. Uh, I can't wait because we had uh, Jess McGuire, who last year was our Big Brother correspondent. This mm-hmm. year hasn't really watched any of it. We had her in a few weeks ago. Didn't talk much about Big Brother, so I'd really like to know what's going on. So I'm glad to know you're you're the person to go to. Yes, but only because I'm paid to listeners. Fair enough. Uh, Naomi Robson is officially out of a job. The expiry date on her contract came and went uh, over the weekend, and that's only two years after the expiry date on her career. And uh, the Seven Networks indicated that it's in no hurry to re-sign the former star. Oh! <laughs> oh! Oh! <laughs> oh! That cuts! That cuts deep! Um, her manager, Mark Clemens, said that uh, the Seven Network is very keen to have Naomi stay with them and have offered her some opportunities to stay. But a Seven Insider disagreed, stating that Net that the network had no desire to re-sign her. They gave her a six-month contract to keep her on Dancing with the Stars, which was hoped would change public opinion of her. It didn't, and the network has nothing for her. Now, Brett, I remember you uh, telling me ages ago about some uh, sound file that I'd created and it had all pops and crackles in it, and I said, yeah, I tried to get rid of those and I couldn't. And you said, there's no way you can polish a turd, Josh. Yes, I think that fits here. Mm-hmm. Really? That's all I'm going to say on that matter. <laughs> uh, uh, Clemens said that uh, there has been some interest from the other networks, but no formal offers. Channel Nine's head of news and current affairs, Gary Linnell, recently said he was not interested in offering Robson a job. When asked why, he said, do you really need an answer on that? <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. they hate her. They hate her in, in the greatest kind of 16-year-old uh, high school quadrangle girl versus girl way. Mm-hmm. That's that's some real venom there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't wait to hear what Naomi says about Channel 7. I can't imagine how why people feel that way about I, her. I can't wait to see what Channel 10's reasons are going to be for hiring her. 
Because <laughs> no doubt that is uh, where she's going to go. A-, a while back, we talked about Coonan promising... Coonan! <laughs> I'm not even, calling a, not even calling a Senator Coonan anymore. Minister. She's just... Coonan! Coonan! She's like an Australian tasty cheese with an an at the end. <laughs> yeah. Coonan! Uh, talking about how the uh, digital band would have a place for Channel 31 mm-hmm. nationwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, Channel 31 have still seen no actual promise of that. Uh, no understanding that when digital TV does come in in 2012 or sometime between 2012, 2026, uh, that, uh, well, when the analog si- signal is is shut down, that Channel 31 will actually have a place on the band. Well, Kernan was saying Kernan. that there was an undertaking that whoever purchased the A-Channel licence, uh, who will be a new media player... Um, one of the requisites for for them getting that would be that they'd have to carry the signal of Channel 31. And that they'd also have to carry the signal of something else and the signal of something else. Whoever buys that licence... I don't remember the something else. Yeah, there's there's an Aboriginal-only programming uh, digital thing that Mm -hmm. they'll have to carry. Basically, whoever buys that licence for the ridiculous fee that they're asking is going to be so limited, it's almost anti-competitive what they're what they're buying. Well, you know, at least outsiders are giving, uh, getting the opportunity to buy into it, uh, which has been better than what we've seen so far. And which was the reason why we ended up with this retarded digital system that uh, nobody else in the world took up. Yeah, I really, I really don't understand it. So Channel 31 uh, are complaining about that, along with the community radio stations complaining about there being no place for them on Uh, the digital signal as well. Digital radio, yes. Yeah, Um, I could go into that, but this is a show about TV. It Hmm. it is, but uh, I'm sure if Um, if you want to know... In Melbourne, basically what it comes down to is that there's 512K kilobytes, kilobits, um, assigned for all nine of the community broadcasters, um, which if you split that up into nine, it's not enough for much more than half a channel, so a signal over digital. So it, it would be a lot like calling up a radio station, just listening to it via your phone. Um, well, no, we're going to have to share it. So so none of the community stations at this point are going to actually have a, a full-time signal. That's horrendous. Yes, mm. it is horrendous. And in fact, the commercials uh, want to block the community stations out completely. Coonan. Coonan. Um... Southern Cross, what, of, what's, what's happening at Southern Cross? Southern Cross has gone into a trading halt. Why? Fairfax Media and the Macquarie Media Group are believed to be close to preparing a bid for uh, the entire company. Uh, under the terms, Fairfax are looking to take over control of Southern Cross's radio assets, which include 2UE in Sydney, AW in Melbourne, uh, 4BC and 6PR, and possibly Satellite Music Australia, while Macquarie Media would get Southern Cross's regional television stations. Right. You know who's to blame for this? Tommy Elliott. Coonan. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> oh, Coonan. Yeah, uh, this, is all, this is all really interesting. Uh, I mean, Southern Cross has just had a fairly standard, ordinary, but reliable service for the past 
however many years. I don't see that anyone buying it is going to do anything new to it. I mean, a lot of these uh, country stations or regional stations are in a, a market where there is no competition, so they're doing fine. There's either the ABC or Southern Cross or the ABC or Win. Very rarely do you get uh, ABC, Southern Cross and Win. Mm. So I think as far as television goes, that's that's going to be fine. It's going to be interesting to see what Fairfax does with uh, with the radio. Yeah, mm. AW and UE coming out of the same the same uh, company that r- runs The Age. Yes. Good morning, Herald. Yes. Well, The Age is going tabloid, pretty much. Yeah, that's right. Not tabloid. Well, it's, it's not broadcast. What are they anymore. calling it? Yeah. It's like mid train friendly. You know, I, I've spent a, a lot of time in the US and a lot of their newspapers are that size. Mm. Uh, it's not a good thing, not a bad thing, as long as they still have just as much news stolen from The Guardian. Uh, you know, I don't <laughs> think people are going notice, to notice anything different. And lastly in the news, Brett Cropley, you... Uh, you bags this story before I got to. Michael Parkinson has announced that his next talk show series will be his last. Yes, he's resigning after 25 years as one of the world's uh, leading chat show interviewers. He's really a a fantastic interviewer, although in the last few years he's kind of gotten a little bit, shall we say, lazy? Well, he's had three years at uh, ITV over in the UK after uh, departing the BBC, and so he's been dealing with a commercial organisation over there. Um, he's 72. It's probably about time that mm. uh, he did uh, retire. He says he's going to take off next year and write his autobiography and then consider other television projects. Right. Yeah. Well, good on for him. I, I mean, Michael Parkinson, uh, along with... Uh, Ivan Hutchinson, if if anyone remembers him, uh, mm. two people that I watched in my childhood that really helped me shape my uh, interviewing style and uh, and and love of talking to people about stuff that they do. Really? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I, I I watched both of them from from a very young age and went, mm. Mm, I like what they do. I'd like to do that later on in life. So it'll be sad to see Parky go from from the screens, but he has given us, you know. 25 years of some excellent interviews. So that should be good. And that is the Box Cutters News. And we're here in the Box Cutters studio. As Can I get you some coffee? <laughs> with <laughs> the yawning coffee. man, Jared McCulloch. Mm-hmm. I just uh, seized the opportunity to have a nice big yawn. Just good thought I'd get it out Stretch of the way. Stretch it out, get the energy yeah, up. Before I start talking, because then once I start talking, everyone else can have a bit of a yawn. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. Nice bit of self-deprecation. That's good. Mm, thanks. Uh, you have been a writer for Roving Enterprises since its inception. Not quite since its inception. Uh, well, I came on board. Excuse me while I just sack a researcher. Sure. <laughs> I came on board not long after Rove moved to 10. So right. uh, I think yeah. Roving Enterprises started. Well, Roving Enterprises started when he moved to 10 as a company. So, yeah, not long after it started, I and, came along. And so you missed they, out on the, the edgy nine era. missed out on the edgy nine era. I missed out on the experience of being sacked by Kerry. Um, but I did manage to... See, I was about to head off overseas to do my two-year backpacker jaunt. And when I took this job... Everyone on the show just kind of thought, well, 
Uh, when I joined full-time, we'd just been re-signed to another 13 weeks at 10, and I think the general feeling was there's 13 weeks of work and then we'll go our separate ways. Yep. And I thought that's when I'll head off to the UK. So was and that the first 13 weeks after that nine? That was the second 13 weeks after nine, yeah. And, um, uh, well, I just got on the roller coaster at the right moment just as it took off, and I never made it to the UK to be a backpacker. Damn. Yeah, well. But, so, you know, uh, you, you've grown a beard. So, I have now, yes. I've matured quite a lot in my job, <laughs> and I learnt how to run a coffee machine. But, yeah, since then, just pretty much been staff writer on Rove Live and then uh, and did bits and pieces on Before the Game and Skit House as well. Did a little bit of audience warm-up along the way. And uh, you also, before that, you wrote for uh, Totally Full Frontal. Yes, started and- at Full Frontal in the dying days when it was kind of good back at Channel 7 and then mm-hmm. I did Totally Full Frontal. So, so that was well. before Vic Plume uh, came on board? It was before Vic Plume, yeah. I enjoyed some of Vic's plumes, some of Vic Plume's work actually on, on Totally Full Frontal. He's, he's a man who makes me laugh. But I heard him doing a voice for something the other day. He does. I believe he's one of the dogs. I haven't had it confirmed but I'm pretty yes, sure yes, he is. Yep, home Vic hardware. Plume and Greg Fleet are the home hardware dogs. So uh, it's, it's always it's nice to see Vic still in work but yeah, so I did a couple of... Uh, that's where I cut my teeth on the sketch shows and then did a very brief stint on a, a, um, a comedy channel live show called The Big Schmooze, which was hosted by Matt Hardy, where I kind of... My job, and it paid my rent for a couple of months, was to pretty much turn up on the night and see how they were going to humiliate me tonight. And <laughs> tonight right. you're... There's a story about, like, uh, you know, some bondage guy being into cricket. So tonight we've got you dressed up as Don Brebbin if he was into bondage gear. And I would have to walk out in uh, a codpiece and fishnets wielding a cricket bat and wearing the baggy green. Well, and just it was, thank the gods of television no one had Foxtel back then. Well, that's the beauty of it, yeah. No one. No one saw me, <laughs> ever. And was the timing on that one of the reasons why Dave O'Neill was picked up by Osterio? Was, uh, was that kind of just before they did the jump? I I couldn't tell you exactly there. Yeah, um, I think that was happening. I think Dave was getting to radio before that happened. What uh, he, he was, was he was well, on he was breakfast here. at Triple yeah, R. Well, well, and before that, did the uh, excellent Osabuco show with Vic Plume. Yes. Exactly, but he did also. He'd already started branching into a little bit of commercial work. He started with Matt Tilly on Hedgeburners on Triple M, I think, on a Sunday night before Big Schmooze. I mm-hmm. I, I think if my chronology chronology is right there, but. Yeah, anyway, so, uh, but uh, Big Schmooze ran for two years and I was only involved with the first one. And I was officially told by uh, one of the other writer slash producer types there, oh, it's not that we decided not to use you. It's just like, you know, we never got around to discussing if we were going to use you. And then suddenly it was like, <laughs> suddenly it was the first episode and, you know, it went all right. So, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, which, and, is, which is completely and, different to commercial television where you'd be told, oh, we have every plan to use you. Every plan. Yeah, it's the every direct pl- reverse. Every mm. plan to use you. Yes. 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 We we do plan to use you. Yeah. Of course, we plan to use you. And then you go. Um. Hang on. The Jared McCulloch show went to air last night, and I still hadn't got a call. Are you sure you're going to use me? I <laughs> know, oh, mate. We loved everything. Like you know, everything was worked. Everything it, it, was fine. We're just, we're just ironing out some stuff in yeah, the show. That's right. Yeah. yeah. We love the title. Great title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so tell tell us about the the nature of writing sketch comedy when uh when you're in say writing for for totally full frontal or, or full frontal uh and you're working for something like that are you actually in the offices a few days a week 
just banging out sketches? Are you working with a partner? How, how does that actually work? Look, it's it's so it really changes around depending on how you like writing. Some come into the office, some are at home. Quite often you'd start writing, contributing from home, and then if you show promise, you actually get given a bit more money to come into the office. And uh, people sometimes find that work well with others, and sometimes not. And um, and you, especially in the early days, have to generally take a lot of instruction from the head writers. They're very important in, in sketch shows, just in, in trying to collate a writer's room full of writers into a, some kind of coherent uh, angle, a coherent feel to the sketch show. And at the same time, trying to take on board all the many producers that tend to be involved with these shows and what they think and, uh, and you know, massive budgets and wardrobes and location shoots and all that sort of thing. So and is it exciting to to think well okay i've I've written for the stage and I've written for you know maybe a comedy festival sketch show and uh and and things like that to to suddenly be able to have this wild imagination where you can say, okay, well, we're at a fisherman's wharf and there's a, a guy in a beanie or yeah, I think it is I certainly yeah when you start working a sketch, it certainly is it's very exciting, and the one thing that I think just about everyone does is overwrite for those first for the first year or so you just write really long sketches with far too much setup and nowhere near enough jokes per page uh, to kind of get through and then of course it gets like like, to like on Saturday Night Live. Yes. yes. Well, but, you know, they still do that to this day, exactly. But uh, um, that's – oh, sorry, I had a really great point to make and now I've forgotten it now. So but, you, you, you were saying that uh, people start out overwriting. Yeah, they generally do. I mean, it takes a while to get used to just writing for – especially commercial tally. And um, uh, even – actually, I was looking at some old full frontal tapes the other day and I couldn't believe even back then – and this was only 97 – just the amount of time we we would get to set up a joke – or if we were doing, you know, that was back in the days when you used to be able to actually do political satire and commercial uh, commercial sketch shows, which isn't much you see much these days. But And you'd sort of go, okay, here's an interview with Amanda Vanstone. First, let's have Maxine McHugh explain the whole topic for 45 seconds before we start doing the gags. And, and was oh, that a one-hour format? Such a luxury. Yes, it was a one-hour yeah, format. I guess you've got to fill up the air. Yeah, you do. Somehow. And you know what? The, the, there's a bit of a, a school of thought among my sketch writing friends that uh, when in any one-hour sketch show, you'll get maybe 20 minutes of good and 20 minutes of filler. And, uh, you know, that's why sometimes you kind of sit there watching any sketch and you go, oh, that was lame, that was lame. And then sooner or later, you'll find yourself chuckling and think, well, there should be more like that. And that's the problem. I think networks have, especially in recent years, come to start demanding or expecting hour-long sketch shows. And it's it's almost more sketch than a writing team can write in a week, especially if, you, mm. if you're working on kind of a week's turnaround in the production week, it's that's a lot of tally to make. No, but, From, but in, in Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip, <laughs> that that guy writes a, a, an hour and a half of uh, of television by himself. He's on drugs yes. by himself. That's right. But then, like uh, Comedy Inc. looked like it had two dozen writers on it. Uh, it was is is there is there any advantage in having a massive team like that, or or like just a little one man do the whole lot? Oh, you know, that changes from show to show. I think it just depends on how much creative control the writers have, which is usually not very much. Mm-hmm. But if you do, I mean, look at DJ and they had a, a really close-knit team. It was, it was kind of, They didn't take too many contributions from outsiders. And they turned out what was uh, a, a pretty strong show. And, and late show, again, just that small team, that working dog became the working dog team because yep. they had a, a certain vision and they worked really well together and they were able to... Uh, that they just prove that it can be done. 
I guess. Well, and yeah. and the Late Show was a very different show because that was almost entirely personality driven. Yeah, very much so. Uh, whereas uh, the the Degeneration or Australia Standing in it were just sketch, basically just sketches. Mm. Uh, but you did have these very talented people working together very closely, mm. and I I don't think that happens as much anymore. I mean, when you look at uh, shows like Totally Full Frontal, Full Frontal, Fast Forward, uh, and uh, and also shows like The Big Bite, shows like Comedy Stink, where where you do have a hundred million writers mm. who who are all doing different things, it, it's a it seems to sometimes be a case of too many chiefs. Yeah. Sometimes too many chiefs, sometimes too many Indians. Um, it's 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 just um, I think I think we've forgotten how to make sketch comedy a bit in this country. Part of it, I think, is in chasing viewers. Um, there's a there are very broad sensibilities brought to any sketch. It's it's really hard to write anything kind of new or clever. Uh, just about every sketch you see these days on commercial telly really follows uh, a, a, the kind of commercial formula. Yep. You know, it's it's you've kind of felt you feel these days like you've seen the sketch before, even if the joke might be new, even if the personality that we're taking making fun of is is new. You still kind of uh, it's not very often that you see something that just makes you go, "Wow, that was edgy and and different and unexpected." Maybe it's just the fact they've all been around so long and we're running out of those but it's new also, ideas. But, but it is something that we saw for, for a large part in the first series of Skid House. Mm. Oh, the the first series of Skit House was really different. I mean, they they did have uh, very short sketches yep. in there. Uh, second and third seasons were completely different. Mm. But uh, the first season, and and I know because I knew people who were working on it, uh, that they were editing very heavily, and they were mm. you know a couple of seconds too long, and had to cut more out. And we ended up with uh, an entire show of just thirty second sketches, yep. where it was set up joke, set up joke, set up joke. Mm. Uh, but obviously too expensive to make or too expensive to maintain mm. that, that sort of energy. That's right. Skid House did something unusual too, which is they really recruited very heavily from the comedian pool. They really brought a lot. It had been a while since anyone had done that, which is to bring a whole lot of comedians who can write jo- uh, write their own sketches onto a show. So a lot of those, especially in the early days, it was the cast themselves generating the characters. The other thing that Skid House had, it was very heavily character-based. So uh, they they kind of brought a lot of their own ideas and they knew what they were doing with them. Uh, the realities of making a sketch show are that once they get into shooting, it's almost impossible for the cast to find the time or the brain power to, to keep that writing going. So that's when you need more writers to come on board and, and continue writing for the existing characters and the existing cast. But uh, And that was, I think, a strength of Skit House, in, in its, certainly in its early days. Um, a little bit towards the end, it started kind of looking like all the other the sketch shows, I think. But... That's. Uh, it also points to a bit of a fault, which is what well, can t- can happen in comedy TV in this country generally, which is where the, the cast aren't necessarily comedians. Uh, quite often, they are actors who think they're doing comedy, and mm. you know they've come out and they 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 can tend to overact. They can be a bit hammy. And unfortunately, the director also thinks he knows comedy, and the producers think they know comedy. And of you know, with humour being as subjective as it is. By the time all these people who know comedy have made a comedy show, 
the last people who, uh, you know, well, frankly, the writers are the only people in the room who know the comedy, and uh, and it's it's just a mess, really. But if you can get actors who can be funny, if you can do, if you find actors who can actually, who are comic actors, not necessarily just actors who are doing a comedy show. That's which, a subtle but a very important difference. Which is what you get in the UK with excellent sketch shows like Big Train. Yeah, that's right. Uh, again, very rare, but what they do there, which is part of the whole British model, is they've got the uh, they've got the writers writing and so, some of the actors are also writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do that for a concentrated period of time. Shoot a six-week six week sketch comedy show. Uh, big, and they've taken 20 weeks to write it. Yeah, that's right. And that doesn't happen here. You've got exactly. a week to write, a week to shoot, a week to write, a week yeah. to shoot. That's the luxury of the TV licence in Britain. You still have to pay to have a TV, and that money just goes into the BBC pool. And the other thing is that the BBC has more than seven, well, it has seven national radio stations, and then it's got lots of regional radio stations. In In this country, if someone goes to your comedy festival show and thinks you're funny, if you're lucky, you might get thrown onto television where you'll get burnt up really quickly and uh, and forgotten about. But in Britain, they just nurse you through this radio program. You'll start on a, a little BBC show and then you build your own following. Maybe it's a live show and audiences come and, and get familiar with your characters. And that's when you get your TV show, after your writers have gotten used to your characters and, and the audience Which is, is familiar exactly with you. Which is exactly how, a, a few weeks ago on, on this show, we talked about Alan Partridge and Knowing yeah. Me, Knowing You. And that's exactly how Knowing Me, Knowing You started. It yep. was a, a BBC radio show. And Little Britain, similarly, they started that way. Uh, Flight of the Concords are now doing TV, but they they were doing plenty of radio to start with. So it's a wonderful system, and it's one that we don't get to have here, unfortunately. No, because for some reason, no radio really takes that on. No radio, certainly very little scripted radio, scripted comedy in radio. It's something I would love to change. But also we don't have the number of outlets. Yeah, that's right. We don't yeah, have the outlets and we don't, we don't have, have the, the budget. Uh, hmm. yeah. yeah, that's right. It all gets back to simple economics, really, unfortunately. And and that's when we should have Tom Elliott here again. There, there are little moments in the show where uh, where we think, if we could just have Tom Elliott in for a comment... <laughs> and then and then go. He he comes in uh, about quarterly to to talk about the business of television. But no, we don't have him under the desk, unfortunately. So, so are there any kind of heroes uh, of of comedy writing that's that are still around, or do, do people tend to stick around for long, or do they just go at it full bore and get burned up in? A few oh, years. Do you mean on the local scene yeah. as such? Yeah. Um, it's funny. I think the the guys that hang around the longest are the guys who can, who who can just take commercial sensibilities on board. And when I actually did a, a, a sort of a seminar for some RMIT screenwriting students the other day, and the three of us sat there like old cynics and went, "Well, here's how to the, the basically the topic was how to be a working comedy writer in Australia," and we basically said. Unfortunately, you can only be a working comedy writer if you're prepared to write the kind of crap they expect you to write because you don't really get to sit there and write the next Arrested Development like we all want to. What you have to do is you're writing for your head, for what your head writer thinks your producer thinks your network thinks their viewers want. And once all those people have had their say, unfortunately, you don't always come up with the gold. So um, I don't know if there's any kind of legendary writers around as such where you know you find out someone's working on a project and you go wow that's brilliant um there are certainly highly respected people like uh, um, um john clark and brian dawes writing they're highly respected but very rarely i think work on 
on other projects, certainly not yeah. with big teams. And they just do their own stuff for the Thursday Yeah, they night. do their own stuff. But um, then there, there are people who are working regularly and are working all the time, people like Michael Ward, people like Paul Collegia, who, yeah, that's right. uh, who just know how to do that sort of that sort of writing. Mm. They're very talented uh, and they can write the great jokes and sometimes they can even get the great jokes in between all the crap that their producer, executive producer, network <laughs> yeah, that's right. expects from them. Mm. Uh, and uh, so, so you know, I, I see their names come up on, on everything and just think, well, good on them because they're actually making a living fairly regularly. So do you think Paul Collegia hasn't actually had been able to get any of his stuff through on uh, Malloy as yet? Or, uh, uh, no, I think, uh, I think the, the problem with Malloy is that you not only have your producer, your executive producer, your network head, you have about five to ten of all of them plus uh, everybody just waiting for you to fail. So uh, so the, the, I think the, the problem with the nation is they're just too scared to do what they want. If they actually went ahead and did the show that they wanted to do, I have no he doubt... He could be pissing on set again. He could be, <laughs> he could be pissing on set again, or it could be as good as, uh, as Mick's recent radio show, Tough Love, was in its first year. Uh, you know, I, I think that there is that opportunity there and it, it's just not going to happen because they're too scared to, to do anything. Mm. Jared, thanks so much for, uh, you know, giving us an extensive chat. <laughs> it's okay. We, we appreciate it. You are, of course, sticking around for the rest of the show. And, I sure will. I'll keep talking. Uh, hopefully in, in Pork, we'll, uh, we'll get to what uh, you're doing now and, and what part of your uh, job in Rope is. Lovely. time for the golden age of television. That's better. The envelope, please. Thank you. Uh, you know what? I always just fold open the envelope mm. today. Buffy and Firefly. Ooh, there's a pattern on that. Both Joss Whedon. Both Joss Whedon shows. Buffy mm. the Vampire Slayer was uh, a Joss Whedon show taken from a film that Joss Whedon wrote the script for. But surprising, Angel's not in there. No, Angel's not in there. Oh. Uh, did, did you check? Double check? I t- <laughs> Nothing else is falling out of the envelope. No. Hmm. Maybe I ripped it when I ripped the... No, no Angel there. Nothing. Huh. So uh, the lights are going crazy. Uh Buffy the Vampire Slayer, taken from uh, or adapted from the screenplay that Joss Whedon wrote uh, for a feature film that was made into a feature film that I really liked and nobody else in the world did. And uh, it's really very few people. I always say nobody else. I'll say very few people. Uh, And turned into an excellent TV series. Firefly was his uh, follow-up after Buffy the Vampire Slayer ended. Uh, Obviously, Buffy is about... A vampire slayer. She's a cheerleader who is given the job of slaying vampires. Every generation there is one. And Firefly is the story of the crew of a space vessel. And uh, they were brown coats in the war. They, they were the rebels against the Empire in a, a recent war amongst the planets. And uh, now have to eke out a, a, an existence as... Uh, not really pirates, but uh, but 
kind of couriers of dangerous materials. Doing bad things. And it's while it while it's set on spaceships and stuff, uh, it's very much a, an old kind of wild western. Well, and this is this is story. the thing with with both of these shows. And yes, they're both Joss Whedon shows, but they have uh, they have similarities that bring them into golden age of television. Beyond that, one of them is this cross genre scenario. Firefly did have the western element, very strong western element. I mean, people still rode and, and horses. literally because they they would pull down, pull into planets, and and people would be on horses, and it was all desert, and and yeah. you'd have gunslingers and stuff like that. So you had the combination of of space and desert hmm. for, Which, your, for your western space epic. Uh, but you know the, the space and western uh, linkage has has gone way back. Uh, Star Trek Outland. Sean Connery. It was it was basically high noon, uh, but set on Mars. What? When was that made? Uh, Seventy mid seventies. So, so before that, that, before that, Star Trek was actually uh, a, a lot of the uh, the shows that were popular at that time were, were shows like Gunsmoke and uh, Bonanza. Bonanza, and uh, Roddenberry came up with Star Trek, and people said, "Well, oh, we don't really like this space stuff." And he said, "Well, it's it's just a western," and it was just a western. It was about people going into a new town meeting every baddies. week, meeting baddies, having fights, and there were lots of desert scenes in mm-hmm. Star Trek. And the captain getting lucky every with every alien race. Firefly is the first one I've seen that really takes it to that that extreme level of yeah. There's no mucking around here. This is exactly what we're doing. It is a western with spaceships, essentially, uh, and Buffy in the in the cross genre scenario was a teen drama with vampire slaying, and the perfect combination of of those as well, and making no no but about it. It was it was teen drama, but it was also horror, and it was back while Nine Hundred Two One Hundred was still being produced. Uh, yeah, in its in its last years, as it was coughing its its <laughs> last cough of Donna, uh, the uh, so so here we had a situation where we knew about teen dramas, we knew what teen dramas should be, we also knew about horror shows. There were shows like The X Files. We had never seen a combination of them. Not only that, we had never seen people like we had never seen teenagers talk the way these these teenagers did in Buffy, which was the way we talked as mid-twenty-somethings. And I think that's why Buffy got, you know, originally got the the cult following that it did, because all of these 20-somethings went, hey, sure, they're teenagers, but they're really us. And we, we understand that Joss Whedon is really writing for us. And this is our show, and this is the first show that we can call our own. As opposed to 902, I know where it was all 30-somethings. Well, yes, it was 30-somethings cast and it was 30-somethings writing and it was... But even then it was 30-somethings writing what they thought teens wanted to see. Mm -hmm. Here it was a 30-something writing what he knew 20-somethings wanted to Mm -hmm. see. So as as far as the cult status goes, this was really the first show that uh, our generation could call our own. And uh, and built itself up that way. Plus, it had fantastic characters. You really wanted to get to know them, uh, and some really good acting. Firefly, uh, again, excellent acting, really strong script with some fantastic dialogue. And dialogue is also what really makes these shows special. Uh, 
the Firefly dialogue includes uh, swear words in other languages because that's part of their... Cantonese, which was about the earth languages kind of evolving and, 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 and being melding. English and Cantonese. And, uh, and so, so both of these really superb shows that definitely deserve to be in the golden age of television. Also, interestingly, one of the few free-to-air network shows or two of the few free-to-air network shows that we've got in the Golden Age of Television list. Most of them have been from uh, HBO Showtime, uh, a couple of them from England. But as far as US free-to-air networks go, Buffy and Firefly, both of which started on... Well, no, uh, Buffy started on the WB and Firefly started... That's the Warner Brothers show. No, no, it's not. No. No, (laughs) See, Jared doesn't get it. No, he doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) It was owned by Warner Brothers, but it was just called the, the, the WB. Okay. Um, yeah. Or it was sometimes on WB, sometimes on UPN, uh, which have United both Parcels Network come to to become the CW, Country Western, and uh, none of those acronyms <laughs> are correct. I mean, the, the acronyms <laughs> are, but the, uh, the the explanations are, are not. And uh, so, so Buffy went from WB to. Uh, WB slash UPN. And did they do... Uh, to, uh, to Fox. Fox actually bought uh, Buffy from season four onwards. And did, did they kill her off as it was finishing up on one network? A yes. little bit like uh, yes, they did. Country Practice where they burnt down the town and it they was did. heading over to Channel There was definitely closure mm-hmm. because uh, Joss Whedon promised that there would be closure for that network, for Buffy. And so you could really just... End the series there where it left the WBUPN conglomeration uh, and then started a new, in a way, on Fox. It was a slightly different show. Uh, I think that was also the time that, uh, you know, they were in college. Things were, things were getting very different for them there. Uh, the reason Angel's not there is because it was purely a spin-off. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't have that same... Uh, that same dialogue style. Uh, it wasn't really cross genre. I mean, it was. You could say it was mystery and horror, but it. it I mean, those two are seen to, together so often. Uh, so it doesn't have any of those elements that that we love. It was still a, a great show, and too really, much Cordelia. really watchable. Oh no, you couldn't have too much Cordelia, <laughs> uh, and and really watchable, but just doesn't fit into to this combination that puts these shows into golden age of television. G'day, you're listening to Ed Phillips here from Temptation across the Nine Network, and I am special guest of the Box Cutters. Love the guys' show, love all three of you. God, you're funny. Never miss a show, and sometimes if I do, they make tapes of it on the internet and then send it to me. We've got to get Ed Phillips back on this show. Yes, absolutely. Weren't we talking about getting him and Pete Smith together? Yes, you know what? I'm writing myself a note. Let's go and do that. All right. Why, why don't while we do that? While we do that, why don't you tell us about stuff happening at Channel Seven? Things are afoot at Channel Seven, uh, as we heard last week. Um, Daryl Summers is working on a pilot. It uh, it seems that with Rove maintaining view, uh, reasonable view of physics figures. Uh, and Malloy being let loose on the traditional soft night of the week. Uh, the seven, seven wants some of that action. Uh, they don't really have any uh, talk variety stuff going on over there. Just at, It's not sport. At seven, well, clearly those audiences are full. They've got everything that they need between the you know 1.2 million that Rove's got and the, uh, what is it now, 
five viewers that Malloy has. 1.2 mil? No. Rome's mid, getting... Mid-900s. Yeah. Rome's uh, getting between, between no, 900 generally. and 1.2. Yeah, usually tipping over the mil mark. Okay. Not the last three weeks. That's but anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in on a Thursday. The ratings figures have been pulled down by then. Um, so uh, Daryl is uh, putting together a pilot uh, for a Saturday night show, basically a remake, a, a reinvigoration, a resurrection of Hey, Hey, It's Saturday, which is actually an, the name that he owns. Um, yeah, we, we talked about that last week. Mm. He, he would own that name. Yep. But would he actually use that name? I haven't heard either way at this right. point, but it has been the point has been made that he owns the brand, he owns the name um, <laughs> from uh, industry insiders that I've spoken to. Ross Irwin, who you, you might know, know what? From, I, from, I own a t shirt that, that from, I bought in 1993. It doesn't mean that I have to wear it. <laughs> True. Just putting that out there. Um, Ross Irwin, who you may know from Cat Empire, is going to be the musical director. Okay, that'll be interesting. So getting the kids in. Uh, Red Simons is involved. And by interesting, I mean tedious. Go on. Hello, hello. (laughs) Don't even get me started. He was on the horns. He wasn't wasn't a vocalist. Um, Red Simons is involved, uh, but strictly in a capacity as as nasty judge, uh, not having any musical role on the show. Uh, John Blackman has been taken on board to uh, do his usual voices. We'll probably see Dickie Nee coming back. It's a school reunion, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. indeed. Um, Jackie McDonald's, Jackie McDonald, going to be uh, on there. I haven't heard. Uh, uh, no, I haven't heard uh, Jackie's name. Lavinia Nixon. What about that, uh, that Murray, woman who went crazy? Murray Trigoning. Andrew Fife. Uh, haven't heard. The uh, uh, the cartoonist. You've got all the names of the cartoonist. Yep, yes, yep. yes, yes, yes. Um, it was quite similar in style to Andrew Weldon. Yeah, but twenty years older. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> I always, I always like the the cartoons. You know, we do like to bag hey hey, but I thought the cartoons and the subtitles certainly added a an enjoyable and the sound effects and the and the sound effects. Yeah, when they right were good, on, but, on, you know, there was a point. I don't know if Murray Trigoning took off and it was someone else doing it for a while, or, or but there was a point where the sound effects they stripped the library back to about ten of them, and it, they were nowhere, nowhere near as funny in the dying days. What about uh, what about characters? Mrs. McGillicuddy, Angel. Uh, both John Blackman. So. Now, I did hear that when Daryl was hosting a telethon that Seven did a couple of years ago, this was after he'd started doing um, the, the dancing show, and he was hosting Star this dances. telethon. Yeah, yeah that's the one. No, and uh, he was calling up everywhere trying to find a picture of Mrs. McGillicuddy because he was, really? he was sure that the viewers would love it. And from what I understand... Network heads were really hoping he didn't find it. I don't believe he did in the end either. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I was so scared of Mrs. McGillicuddy as as a kid, just terrified, <laughs> absolutely terrified of her. And to, With her no teeth and yeah, squished to, face. To this day, even the idea of of seeing Mrs. McGillicuddy gives me a little bit of a. Oh, I hope I don't, because it's it, it's so ingrained in me. Mm. But uh, at the same time, I believe quite funny. Well, I wouldn't I... know. I was always running, screaming from the room. Well, have I got a surprise for you? Hello, God! <laughs> <laughs> That's really good, Jared. <laughs> yeah, I'm sent down on my CV. <laughs> uh, now, the word I've heard uh, from from my sources uh, on Daryl's project is that he'll be insisting on filling the executive producer role, which seven aren't likely to go for, um, even without a producer role on star dancers he's still 
likes to act as if he's one when he's on the set. Mm. Uh, Short man syndrome. Well, sure, Daryl syndrome, maybe. Maybe. Yep. What, um, else, what else has Channel 7 got in the works? Andrew O'Keefe uh, is putting <clears throat> together a variety show no mm. pilot. Mm. No deal. This has been around, the story's been around for a long time. He's mm-hmm. been talking about it for a long time. I well, think he's been wanting to get it up for a while. Yeah. Um, to run several nights a week, and uh, O'Keefe names Johnny Carson his, as his inspiration. So, so that kind of a, a tonight show. Right. Um, so, so basically, he's just going to wear a fez. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, but it, it'll also have some comical coverage of current affairs. There's something new, and uh, local and international guests. Um, it seems it's not all about O'Keefe. Uh, there will be a number of others with regular involvement on the show who have yet to be named. Jackie O's about and to have a, uh, a free slot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Steve Vizard's actually involved in the production company. Yes, he's headed back into the, the TV comedy sphere of late, Steve Vizard. Mm. Well, he was, uh, he was apparently a guest on the pilot uh, for Naomi's project. Oh, really? Mm. He was uh, behind the scenes at The Wedge. Too in the second season, which hasn't gone to air yet, it's largely in the can. But right, uh, yes. Um, I reckon that uh, O'Keefe is is already spread pretty thin around the network, and on on top of Deal or No Deal, The Rich List, and Weekend Sunrise, I'd be surprised if uh, Channel Seven wanted to wanted to uh, a add to his large workload already, or else lose him from any of those existing commitments. And when's Dragon's Den coming back? Uh, never. Uh, Remember, he did start on Big Bite, and uh, he can perhaps host the show as another character. He could host it as Eddie. I was never he, saw him Was, he, on, Big was Bite. he on Big Bite? Yeah, he... he all, all three weeks of it. The irony was he made his name... He first appeared on our screens doing impersonations of other TV hosts, including right. Eddie. And then was then given a variety show, a game show, and put up against Eddie as himself. That is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And the third pilot, Grant Denyer, uh, who shot a pilot this week for a show expected to be aimed at a late Saturday night time slot. Oh, when he can say all the things he likes to say. Uh, though it could potentially run up to three nights a week. Filthy mouthed Denyer. Yeah, I can see all those teenagers and clubbers <clears throat> staying home to get a fix of late night Grant Denyer on a Saturday. Details are very sketchy, but it's expected there will be an in-house band. Um, I did hear something about uh, looking for a music director. And uh, the loose description is variety on the show. And this seems to be the pilot with the most promise, uh, given that he's about to finish up with Star Singers. And uh, Seven will be wanting to continue banking on his popularity. Um, I also think that this could be the most interesting with some of Denya's slips of the tongue in recent months. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there were three very successful late night shows, late night nightly shows on Australian television. There, there was Visard, mm-hmm. there was Robbo, and there that was, was the Coast to Coast. Well, yes and no. They all had the news in them. They all had the news in them, but they were also all very much personality-based shows. Yeah. What you're going to get with O'Keefe and Denya is not a, a great personality host, hosting the show. O'Keefe, I think, comes across almost entirely as arrogant and uh, no one really wants to... You know, he, he's not endearing in any way. He's 
good at what he does. He's a very good game yes, show host. Mm. But no, I don't think he's. I don't think he's endearing. He's in, cute and teddy bearish. You'll get competence, competence, but will you get warmth? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think you'll do and that. Will you get edge? And Denya, well, he was the weatherman. Yeah. I mean, I, I really think they're they're punching above their weight in 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 these scenarios. Mm. I really do. Uh, but good luck to everybody. Let's see what comes of it. I'm guessing the only thing that's going to get up out of all of those is Hey Hey. Did you exclude Denton from your list of successful Tonight Shows because it wasn't every night? It, yes, that's yes. right. Yeah, just checking. Yeah, but, but thanks. Yeah, thanks for, right. for catching me on that. But yeah, no, I was, I was talking about particularly mm. every night. Yeah. So you're calling Hey Hey. I think... I uh, call not Hey Hey. Really? I, I call Denya. Really? We'll wait and see. Okay. Mm. Hey, um, when I cast my pod... It's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters. Pod. Cast. Done. Pork is on the table. Brings us to the wonderful pork segment of box cutters. Now, Jared, pork is basically where we talk about stuff that we didn't get a chance to talk about Mm -hmm. during the rest of the show. The one thing we didn't get to talk about is what your job is currently on Rove. You mentioned that you come in on Thursdays and, and that's when you do your writing. Yeah, I do a day's writing on uh, usually on a Thursday. But more importantly, what's I have, your Sunday night job? I have a crucial job on the Sunday night. Uh, before Rove goes to where there are usually two, sometimes two and a half hours of Big Brother, my current job is to watch the feed of Big Brother coming in on the network and just keep an eye on what's going on so that if something happens that might perhaps be talked about in days to come, we can be on top of it. I mean, I assure you Rove watches every second of it in between rehearsals and makeup. But, uh, you know, if, if if they say, hey, we need to see that bit where that guy just streaked across the the live eviction stage or whatever, they'll be able to come to me and I'll say, yes, that happened at exactly <laughs> at exactly 9.53 or whatever. So, uh, so that, it's running very late, Big Brother. It usually does, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. Now, that, so, you know, the, I'm sitting there watching Big Brother and actually have to devote all of my concentration to Big Brother for two and sometimes two and a half, and I hate those nights because they will go over time, the double evictions, three hours of Big Brother. <sighs> it is, I will admit, some of the easiest money I've made in television, and it is a job that causes me to question what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> and there's, there's been an interesting side effect has been that after I leave the truck, usually I'll go up and watch our show from the from the production office or something. I don't actually have any job. Once our show starts, I'm knocked off. But... Uh, Whoever I end up sitting next to, that poor person just cops me talking nonstop for at least 45 minutes to an hour. And I think it's just a psychological need to reconnect with normal people. Like, I, I just come out of these two hours of silence and concentrating on Big Brother and just sit there and go, blah, 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 even more than, than usual and about less interesting topics. And I always <laughs> have to end up apologizing saying, I'm so sorry, but it just, it fries your brain, that show. And I have to say that mate, there was a slight difference this Sunday because after my Big Brother job finished, they were going to try and get the uh, Pasha Balka off the rocks at Newcastle Beach. And I was watching the feed of the ship that was coming in on the news satellite just in case something happened. They were going to try and lift it at 9 o'clock and, uh, you know, if it fell over or something, I would have been there waiting. And so I watched a ship that wasn't moving anywhere <laughs> for an, for, in the dark for an hour. Did, and, they, did and, they have the cables break? That time, or was that the set? Time no, the most exciting attempt. thing was they uh, they noticed an oil spill, so they stopped. Moving of course, it, it was quite last. So yes, this yeah, is just talking about the oil yeah, spill. That's right. Uh, th- there are two points I want to make on that. One is mm. uh, which is more interesting, watching the ship or watching Big Brother? Which which did you enjoy more? 
<laughs> Without a word of a lie, I think I enjoyed the ship more. <laughs> Because I could, I could hear the various things that was going on. I was also getting an audio feed. I could hear what the camera crews talk to each other when they're stuck on a beach in Newcastle, <laughs> you know, because all the net, all the all the networks were standing on the same spot on some cliff, and uh, it was it was funny to just hear the things I was saying to each other out there in the cold. And uh, and the other thing was, I actually used to work in shipping when I wasn't in television. I've worked the odd day job, and so I'm I'm prepared to say I actually had the technical know-how to be able to look at the shot and say, yep. That's a ship. <laughs> so wouldn't it have been? Wouldn't have it have been better for them to unload all that fuel, um, so that if it did break up, then there wouldn't be a spill, but also to get it more buoyant. Uh, hang, hang on. This is the discussion amongst experts. This is the shipping news. Now, yeah, now as, that I, you've as if to di- to diverge. I believe they have unloaded as much as they can, and uh, they have also yeah. uh, moved. I, I heard that they moved it away from the hull. Yeah, they've moved it away from the bits that are nearest the rocks, and because they also need to maintain a certain amount of, uh, of, of weight in the ship to keep it uh, basically... It would upright. help to have a certain amount of weight to help them move it around a little bit. So I'll and put some keep concrete balanced. blocks in there and now, pull out the fuel so that it's not going to spill anywhere. It'd be a good idea, but there's also the question of can they actually access much of that fuel from the position it's in? Like, it would be hard to get another ship in along unscrew, beside it. Unscrew the, the cap and siphon it out. Bit of hose and... I'm, I'm going to call yeah. them tomorrow. Yeah, you do, yeah, you do that. Get one of those aircraft refuelers and, and just put it on suck instead of <laughs> blow for the fuel. Uh the uh, the second question I had mm. was why don't they just build a platform around it and turn it into a paid amusement, a la Polly Woodside? I don't know why you aren't running this country, Josh. It yeah. would make so much sense, Jared. It's not that pretty a ship. So other other than uh, other than Sunday nights, mm-hmm. other than Sunday nights where where you're forced to watch Big Brother, what gets uh, what gets your attention on television? I have always liked Media Watch, and it is—it's just been a travesty to watch this year. The, the and, just and somehow you've kept yourself off it. Buckled, yes, at this point uh, until this podcast. But just—it's <laughs> kind of buckled under the political pressure. It's—it's it's kind of it—it's it, just become like Media Watch press a bit lately. Back on speaking on <laughs> hey hey, speaking of hey hey, but it's—it's uh, it's just you're kind of like oh where's your where's your hard hitting political stuff where's and unfortunately, I guess there's not a lot Media Watch can do. It really stands on the precipice of being axed with one more accusation of political bias. It'll probably go, but it's it's unfortunate to see what political pressures have done to, to that show, unfortunately. I, I can't wait until CVC buy a, a 50% share in the ABC and <laughs> uh, and then just, just leave things as they are. <laughs> mm. um, I'm very excited. I'm going to stand here and admit to being a massive fan of border security. <gasps> I, oh, okay. Now, please tell me, what is it about border security? Because people love it. It rates its socks off. What is it about border security that my, you love? I probably don't have an ordinary reason. Uh, I've mentioned the shipping background. That always got me interested in customs. I used to deal with customs, and I used to think, uh, and having a little bit of a language background as well, uh, it's it's just been a field that always fascinated me, the, the, that front line of, of letting people into and out of the country. And also, I like dogs. Sometimes they show the doggy. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, a friend of mine has just got a job being a dog handler in customs. Brilliant. But uh, I'm just, I'm fascinated just because it is such a, a point, particularly when people have just got off an aeroplane. It is a point where people are at their wits' end. They haven't slept for a day. It's kind of like 
it's it's a reality show without any contrivance. You it's know, kind of like people, the White Room. Yeah, the White Room in Big Brother. They they're sleep deprived. They are, particularly if they are trying something dodgy, they're already stressed out, and now suddenly they've got uh, you know some some customs guy going. Sorry, we're going to have to check your undies. It's and it's brilliant. And, and of course, the people who aren't guilty of anything tend to get really angry as well. And it's always a bit disappointing when they end up being proved innocent. You're like, oh, I really wanted the American bitch to go down. Because but- because on top of you know ha- having wanted the chicken but got the fish, and uh, and yes. having having just caught the end of every film that's been on yeah. the uh, the plane and fallen asleep during the beginnings of them all. They then come and get a finger up their pooper. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the, and on top of all that, I think those other factors. I like seeing that customs are doing their job. I enjoy watching <laughs> that. Um, I I really have had some customs issues in my time, and I kind of I I sympathise with some of the situations that some of those travellers find themselves in. I've just generally, and on top of that, look, it's a it's a well made program. It, it moves fairly pacily. The graphics really add to the to the the storyline. The the voiceover is um, is not overly intrusive. They largely let the the customs officials talk for themselves. It's it's good that they are actually even allowed to look at the camera and explain the situation. And that's actually rare on Australian television as well, because yeah, right. we we rely so heavily on the voiceover, which I think is unnecessary. Yeah. And uh, and I only wonder if they've actually done some talent scouting from among the customs guards. Are there some that they'll follow because they know they're a good chat or or not? And uh, and I particularly enjoy uh, when they've really nailed someone for twenty k's of heroin, and they still <laughs> will sit there and with a straight face and a perfectly deadpan voice, just you know, talk logically and <laughs> and calmly to them and say, "Well, I am going to have to turn you into the federal police. You do face a possible life sentence." You will need to sign this form that we that we <laughs> we didn't uh, harass you in any any way or something something like that. I just I haven't seen many of the new episodes where they've gone actually out with the patrol boats and all that stuff. I'm mainly there for the airports, and uh, it, it's I so I really I really enjoy it. I mean, what, the, what time's that on? It's Cara. Uh, it's Monday, seven thirty, I believe. That's why I, don't, I never get a chance to watch it. Yes, it's when this podcast is currently being made, and I can't wait to go home and watch Border Security <laughs> on my phone. <laughs> Jared, thanks so much for, for coming in and, and being our Ross for a day. That's uh, no that's trouble at all. Excellent work, and, and thank you very much for going to the trouble to grow the beard for it as well. Yeah, it, uh, it took some uh, some overnight planning, but we got mm. there. They'll come up well on the video podcast. Yeah, it, so. yeah. it was great to have you in. We'll uh, we'll have you in again soon. What, Brett? What have I've, you got? Pork? I've, I've got some pork. Oh, you, sorry. Oh, gee, I've, you know, I'm getting ready for the sign. This happens every week, Jared. I can't talk now. Every, you've every week, off. I get ready for the sign off, and then Brett goes, "Oh, well, hang on a second. The president of Istanbul has died. <laughs> the biggest uh, first print run in Pam McMillan's nonfiction publishing history, Gerald Stone's Who Killed Channel Nine, uh, has been released. I believe we'll be talking about it next week, as we'll, long as both Josh and I can get through uh, copies of it. Yes, um, Pam published a hundred thousand copies, oh, wow. which is a monster print run for Australia. Is, uh, market. Um, Ch- Channel 9's lawyers haven't done anything. They haven't uh, even threatened litigation well, as and, yet. And uh, Pan McMillan actually rushed the uh, release There was of lack it. of publicity due to the publisher and author's concern that a threat of legal injunction might stop its distribution. And so they, they rushed it out two weeks early, which is really interesting. I, I am looking forward to reading it. I'm going home right now to uh, 
to start that page turner. So and there, there were uh, big articles in uh, the papers the other day, on the day that it did come out. Um, I think they all mentioned that John Alexander's... Uh, yes, yes. Mm. And uh, I am I'm really looking forward to reading it. I, I think it's going to be a, a really exciting read. Jared, have you heard about this? At all? I read the article the other you day. You can't talk. We've, uh, we've already signed you off. No, not so. I'm just a voice in the studio. But I particularly enjoyed... <laughs> Hearing that uh, Kerry Packer's final words, or very close to final words on his bedside, was, am I still here? How much longer is this going to effing take? <laughs> what a wonderful, wonderful final words from Kerry Packer. <laughs> I, believe, I believe he said very similar things when he, uh, when he asked for the Doug Mulray show to be taken off. <laughs> yeah! Nice. Kapow! And that brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode 92. I want to say, what, Brett, what? You're oh. rolling your eyes now. We were going to do... Okay, it's on. Um, our big promote Box no, Cutters thing. No, we'll do that next week. Have a look at the blog. Oh, I'll, right. I'll, be, I'll be putting up instructions. And okay. we know how to track it. Uh, you know, these these are really things that you should bring up with me we've before fan- we start doing the show. I, you know, it's been a big day. Um, we've got a fantastic giveaway from Crumpler, our very favourite sponsors uh, of a hey, great hey, big beanbag. I'm, I'm not playing favourites between them, <laughs> Crumpler, who who sell bags, and you can find them at crumpler.com.au, yes. and the very wonderful Triple R, whose studios we use for recording this box this box cutters podcast. Well, they're very each and every different. Week. They, you they can are have very both different. at the same time. Uh, you can find out more about them if you click on their logos on the blog at boxcutters.net. If you want to email us, you can at hooray at boxcutters.net. Or click on the link that says contact boxcutters or something along the way. Yeah, there's a, something, something like that. Yep. Talk to us, something. Yep. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. Jared, this is where you say Ross McQueen. Uh, good night, I'm Ross McQueen. Would anyone like a coffee? <laughs> I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. <laughs>